0: Welcome to Summit Bible Church, our afternoon service that so, so badly wants to move back to a morning service, but aren't you glad on a day like today that we have an afternoon service? You know, you lost an hour of sleep and who cares? You don't have a church service to go to so early in the morning. So that's kind of nice, right? There's a silver lining in all of this. Maybe it was just for the Daylight Savings Day. I don't know. Uh, my name is Morgan. I'm the teaching pastor here at Summit Bible Church. It's a privilege to preach. Last week we heard from one of my good friends and uh, a missionary, Corey Kramer. Awesome, awesome message. And uh, I hope you were encouraged by his preaching as I was. We are in the middle of a series through the book of Ephesians. And we just finished chapter 3 two weeks ago. And so it's an appropriate place to pause for just a few weeks. I want to pause in our study of Ephesians to do a mini series, a, a somewhat of a topical series on our mission as a church. Our growth groups right now are going through a book written by Kevin DeYoung and Greg Gilbert called "What Is the Mission of the Church." So I thought it would be appropriate and fitting for us to talk about our mission. Uh, for a few weeks here. So we're going to take a break, do a a topical series, and we'll be in a variety of passages from God's Word talking about the mission of our church. Now, I don't know if you're big on mission statements. Uh, You know, it's popular, especially in secular business culture, to have a good, strong uh, mission statement for your organization or for your business. Maybe some of you have been involved in creating mission statements for your organization, or you're a real promoter of a good mission statement, you know, one that drives the sales forward, one that motivates people to work, to show up at work, and to do their jobs well because they want to accomplish the mission. Well, uh, mission statements are helpful, they're motivating sometimes, but oftentimes, you know, you'll see a mission statement. And you kind of wonder, what in the world do they mean? They use this kind of like uh, sales pitchy jargon. And sometimes the real meaning or what they're trying to go after is lost in the crazy words that they use. So at Summit Bible Church, we try to be uh, very simple and direct with what our mission statement is. And, you know, we could always even get better at that. But I want to highlight two words in our mission statement, that are significant and important. And those two words are going to be the title of this mini-series we're doing on the mission of the church, okay? Two words, make and multiply. Make and multiply. Our mission statement right now as it stands, uh, some of you know, is making and multiplying cross-centered disciples. Make and Multiply. Two significant words, write them down. I want to talk a little bit about what we mean by those two words. First, you have the word make. Make. and It's drawn from the Scriptures. Uh, Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission. The primary command in that passage is what? It's make disciples. Make disciples. Go, therefore... And make disciples of all nations, right? And uh, so that is the main command from that scripture. So that seems pretty, you know, self-explanatory. That's where we get making disciples, making cross-centered disciples. But what about the word multiply? What do we mean by that? Multiply, making and multiplying cross-centered disciples, We added this word multiplying just to give you a behind the scenes here to really emphasize the reality that this is an ongoing, progressive mission. In other words, discipleship does not stop at conversion. You know, some churches make it their aim to preach the gospel so that some might be just converted. And that's a good mission. That's a good start. But discipleship doesn't end at conversion. When you became a Christian, it wasn't like, okay, mission's over, go ahead, take your seat in the pew and just make sure you're at church on Sundays. No, discipleship is much more and goes beyond the conversion of a believer. Our heart is not only that you would know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but that you would grow in Jesus Christ. That you would become more like him. That you would learn to observe all his teachings, all that he's commanded you, which is part of the Great Commission. The Great Commission involves, in other words, evangelism and equipping. The equipping of a believer. And we believe that the word multiplying has this idea that this is ongoing. It's an ongoing cycle of going out to people, sharing your faith baptizing them when they are truly converted and teaching them all that Christ has commanded them. So it's, it's a process, it's a cycle. You hear the gospel, you believe the gospel, you grow by the gospel, and then you share the gospel. And then they hear the gospel, they believe the gospel, they grow by the gospel, and they share the gospel. You see my point? Rinse and repeat. <laughs> it's ongoing. This is multiplying. And, of course, the natural um, result of just being faithful to this mission is multiplication. (laughs) Numeric growth and spiritual growth. We're not afraid of either. Numeric growth and spiritual growth. To grow both deep and wide. That's the result of a church that is committed to this mission making and multiplying cross-centered disciples. So, it's good for us to be reminded of what this mission is. It's good for us to, you know, every once in a while stop and get recharged, motivated to go out there and accomplish the mission for the glory of God. And so, for the next couple weeks, we're going to do that. This week, we're going to look at the motivation for evangelism. Next week, the title of my message is be a bringer. Be a bringer. We're going to look at the life of the disciple Andrew, who was a bringer. And then the third week, we're going to look at the essentials of good discipleship. The essentials of good discipleship. What is discipleship and what are the essentials of that process? So I'm excited to... uh, Excited to preach God's Word, excited to look at this topic. Before we go further, let us start in prayer. Bow with me. Heavenly Father, you have given us such a a clear mission to make disciples. God, and we understand that that is not a a one-time deal. We understand if applied correctly, that process multiplies. And God, we just want to be faithful. Help us to be a church that is committed to the mission. Help us to be people, individuals, that are committed to the mission. And then corporately, that we would be committed to the mission together. God, I pray that you'd stir in up, uh, up in us a fire, a, a passion, a zeal to reach the lost. Uh, a fire, a passion, and a zeal to equip one another to sharpen one another, to encourage one another, and to see one another grow in their knowledge of God. That we would all together stand as a mature body, fully equipped in love with you, God. God, we need your strength in these endeavors. We need need your spirit within us to fire us up to stir up our our passions, our emotions, our minds, and our will to accomplish these things. God, so we ask you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. J.I. Packer writes a book called Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. It's one of my favorite books. Uh, Top five, honestly, for me. Uh, Obviously, J.I. Packer, renowned Christian author. And in his book, uh, he writes that there are two central motivations for evangelism. Okay, There are two central motivations for evangelism, and I agree with him. He writes these two motivations, obedience and love. Obedience and love. I'd argue that those are two central motivations for the whole Christian life. Obedience and love. Why evangelize? Why share the gospel with my neighbor, with my family member, with my coworker, Obedience and love. I think the obedience one is a given. I mean, you know, we're called to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We are given the ministry of reconciliation. In Romans, we're told to not be ashamed of the gospel. We're told, as part of the Great Commission, to go and make disciples. That involves evangelism. So, for us to just be faithful Christians, we should be evangelizing. We should be unashamed of the gospel, sharing the good news. So, of course, we know we need to obey, we need to do what the scriptures ask of us. So, that seems to be a given. But today, I want to focus on the second motivation for evangelism. Why share the gospel with your family member? Why share the gospel with your neighbor, your coworker? Because of love. Because of love. Why don't you open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to point out two verses in this chapter that are familiar probably to you. These are familiar evangelism verses. Okay, that you you may all know about. But let's just review. Look at verse 18. Verse 18. 2 Corinthians 5:18. Paul, an apostle is the author. He writes, "All of this is from God. All of this being our salvation." In summary, All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself. We talked a lot about that in Ephesians, didn't we? The fact that God reconciled the relationship with us. We were far separated from Him. But God initiated love through Jesus Christ, and He drew us into relationship with Him. He reconciled us. And then look at this last phrase. And He gave us... The ministry of reconciliation. He gave us a ministry. All of us, a ministry. What's that ministry? Reconciliation. That is that we would be used by God to reconcile others to God. Be an instrument, in other words, of reconciliation. Now go to verse 20. This is probably a more familiar verse. Evangelism. Okay? It says, therefore, we are what? We are what? Ambassadors. Ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. What is an ambassador? An ambassador is a representative of the king. And so, an ambassador goes into a foreign land or goes to a group of people, and his job is to represent the king. And so, do you think an ambassador will talk about the king? Yes. Do you think an ambassador will point people back to the king? Do you think he will exalt the king? Do you think, in order for him to be a good ambassador, a good representative, he's got to honor the king with his words, with his actions? And so to represent him in such a way that is honorable before people. That's the idea of who we are. We are ambassadors, we represent a king. And who is our king? Jesus Christ. And so we talk of Jesus. We look like Jesus. We walk like Jesus. We point everyone back to Jesus. That's that's our job description. That's part of our identity. So there are fundamental truths here. You can go to this next slide. There are fundamental truths of evangelism that I'm just going to draw out of these two verses. First of all, write these down. Evangelism is a gift with responsibility. Evangelism is a gift with responsibility. You were given the ministry of reconciliation. You were given a stewardship. You were saved by the gospel. Therefore, you have the gospel. Therefore, you then go and share the gospel. It was a gift to you. And this gift carries some responsibility. You know, was it Batman who was told, with great power comes great responsibility, or was that Spider Man? Thank you. And the nerds speak. Spider-Man. Well, the gospel is a message with power, isn't it? The power to save. And with that message comes great responsibility for you to share it with others. Secondly, evangelism is in our DNA. It's part of our identity. We are called ambassadors. That's your title, whether you want it or not. (laughs) You are an ambassador of Jesus Christ, a representative for the King. So that implies, obviously, we must talk about the King. We must represent Him wherever we're at, in our workplaces, at our schools, in our neighborhoods. It should be pretty obvious to neighbors, to co-workers, to family members, who it is we represent. Don't let a neighbor be confused about what you are. What are you? You strange human being. You you mow your lawn meticulously every Saturday. You're so nice to people. Are you Mormon? You know, whatever else comes with that. No, no, no. It should be very clear. I'm an ambassador of Jesus Christ. I represent the gospel of Jesus. It's part of our DNA. Number three, evangelism is effective. Evangelism works. (laughs) This is the process by which God designed us to... to, uh, to do and to make disciples, uh, God doesn't just zap people from the sky. He, he gave us a mission to accomplish, and God works through that mission. Look at uh, verse twenty. God makes his appeal through us. It's effective. God works through us in evangelism. He works through his word that is spoken by his ambassadors to seek and save the lost. Number four, evangelism is a strong appeal to the will. Evangelism is a strong appeal to the will. Look at what Paul says. We implore you on behalf of Christ. We urge you. Listen, evangelism is not just, you know, the passing along of information. Like you're some kind of robot or computer. You know. Some people are, you know, just like satisfied. Well, I, you know, I handed him a tract. Or I recite the gospel really fast before, you know, he exited the line and exited the store. No, no, evangelism is, an, is a strong appeal to the will. I implore you on behalf of Jesus Christ, be reconciled to God. I urge you. There's passion behind these words. Number five, evangelism fundamentally is sharing the gospel message. If you hold a big sign on the corner of, you know, some popular streets that say God loves you. You're not evangelizing. Evangelizing is sharing the good news of the gospel. Yes, God loves me, but how did He display that love? The display of love was that He gave us a Savior, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross in our place, who was our substitute, who was the perfect sacrifice, and He rose again from the grave, conquering sin and death. He's the only way to heaven. He's the only way that you can be forgiven. We must share the gospel. Evangelism is sharing the gospel message. That doesn't mean, you know, that handing out a tract that has the gospel on it, that's part of evangelism. Um, It doesn't mean that, you know, maybe if you're holding a sign like that, maybe that's a means to evangelism. Maybe somebody comes up to you and says, how did God love me? Wouldn't that be like, that's like putting the ball on the tee for you to hit it out of the park. But that is not in and of itself evangelism. Evangelism is sharing the gospel, speaking. You know, it's that famous saying, whatever preacher a long time ago said it, you know, share the gospel, use words if necessary. That's not evangelism. Evangelism is speaking, sharing the gospel. It's sharing the good news. So these verses help us to kind of understand what evangelism is and the duty of evangelism. But these verses don't tell us what should motivate us in evangelism. And for that, I need you to go back to verse 14. So 2 Corinthians 5, 14. Why evangelize? What compels us to fulfill our responsibility? So here we are, verse 14. We're parking here. Put on the e-brake. We're going to look at this section to see what should motivate us in evangelism. Look at the verse. Says, for the love of Christ controls us. Are you controlled by the love of Christ? Because we have concluded this that one has died for all, therefore, all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died. And was raised. Point number one. Be controlled by love. Be controlled by love. I want to just look at that first phrase. It's incredible. The the Apostle Paul says, The love of Christ controls us. That word control soon echoes. In the Greek, that's a strong word. It could be translated also to seize, to constrain, even to oppress. In Matthew chapter 4, that same word is used of those who were oppressed by demons. In Luke chapter 4, it says that Simon's mother-in-law, using the same Greek word... Was struck with illness. The same word is used in Luke chapter 8 to talk about uh, people being seized with great fear, a fear that overwhelmed them. In Luke chapter 19, the same word is used of a war strategy, surrounding the enemy and attacking from all sides. In Luke 22, finally, the same word is used talking about Jesus being arrested and held in custody. This is a strong word. Paul says, I am controlled by love. So when Paul says that love controls him, he means that it hounds him like a demon. It infects him like a virus. It grips him like a phobia. It surrounds him like an enemy. And it shackles him like a prison guard. He cannot avoid this love. He cannot ignore it. He can't resist it. He can't run from it. This love binds him, it commands his emotions, it captivates his mind, and it compels his will to evangelize. Wow. What love! When I say to you, you ought to evangelize. You know, you hear from the preacher, you ought to evangelize. Let me ask you this, what commands your emotions? What is your first response? What captivates your mind? What compels your will to obey or disobey? Is it fear? Is it a fear of man? Is it anxiety? Is it a sense of self-preservation? I wonder what they would think about me. Is it duty, obligation? Well, the pastor said it, I should do it. Is it shame or guilt? Oh, man, when was the last time that we evangelized? And you immediately feel shame, guilt, because it's been such a long time. Or is it love? Does love drive you? Does love control you? Like it did Paul. 1 John 4.18 says this, There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. 1 Corinthians 16.14 says, Let all that you do be done in love. And I wonder if the problem, you know, if there's a lack of evangelism in our lives, I wonder if the problem is that we simply lack love. We simply lack love. Paul was controlled by it. He was bound by it. He surrendered everything to love. Now what kind of love did was Paul controlled by? Was it just this emotion? Was it this feeling? No. Number 2, be reminded of true love. Be reminded of true love. This was no just kind of abstract thought that Paul was saying this was not an emotion or a romantic type of love. Paul says this, The love of Christ controls us. This is not so much Paul's love for others, but Paul is baffled, bound by the love that Christ has shown him. Paul is overwhelmed by the gospel. That's the love that drives him to share the gospel with others. Listen, love is not a feeling. It's not physical attraction. It's not fate. It's not the color red. (laughs) It's not the many other things this world would like to throw at us. If you were to ask me to sum up love in one word, I would say this. Love is sacrifice. Love is sacrifice. God showed us love, didn't he? Jesus himself said, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. We know that kind of love didn't originate with human beings, didn't come from us, it came from God. 1 John 4.10 says, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is the love that controls Paul. This is what motivates him to evangelize, to share the good news of the gospel with others. Look back at our passage. Paul continues to talk about the God's sacrificial love. Paul says we're controlled by the love of Christ. Look at the rest of 14. Because we've concluded this, that one has died for all. Do you see the sacrifice? One has died for all. Greater love is no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Paul's speaking here of substitutionary atonement. A substitute. Someone took our place. One has died for the rest. Oh, I hope if you have not received Christ, if you've not believed in Jesus, that you would hear the Gospel now and respond to it. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Our conscience bears witness. We have all sinned. Romans 3.23 And the wages of our sin is death. Just like a job or working an occupation earns you a wage, your sin earns you death. Romans 6.23 And though you may think my sin is small in comparison to that person, or I'm not as bad as Hitler, the Bible says that one sin is sufficient to condemn us to death. One sin. And if we're really honest, we know we've far exceeded. Double digits, triple digits, four digits. We have sinned. And here is the beauty of the gospel. The glory of substitutionary atonement. Paul says it plainly later in his letter in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him, because of him, we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, who was spotless, sinless, perfect. He came to this earth and lived the perfect life you couldn't live. And he was obedient to the point of death. He died on a cross. Why? For it to be a spectacle? For all of us to look and go, what a man. He stood by his convictions. And he suffered on a cross for them. No, Jesus died so he could take your place. So that the wrath of God that was supposed to be poured out on you and condemn you for all of eternity would be placed upon him. And when he had suffered it all, all of the sin for all of his people, he said it is finished. And he died. But the gospel doesn't end there. Just as he died, look back at our text, just as he died, he was raised. He died for all, verse 15, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him Who for their sake died and was raised. Jesus conquered sin and death. He rose again from the grave, giving you life, giving you new life. Let those phrases, for our sake, for their sake, sink in, for your sake, in your place. Oh, and this sacrifice changes your identity. It changes who you are completely. Look at the text. Christ died, therefore all have died. Christ was raised, therefore we live. We have a new identity, and it is in Christ. Because He died, we've died to that old self, that old way of life. We've died to sin. And because he was risen from the grave, we're raised to new life. We can live for Jesus. We can walk with Jesus. We are ambassadors for Jesus. We have a new identity and a new purpose. Incredible, incredible love. What a loving friend we have in Jesus. What a loving friend that he would die in our place. Christian, Christian. If you would confess, admit, oh, I haven't evangelized in the way that I ought to. I've confessed that this week, admitted that. Oh, man, I just, I haven't been evangelizing the way that I ought to. And you maybe are thinking about friends at work or co, you know, uh, or, or neighbors or family members that need the gospel. They need to hear this good news. Listen, let the love of Christ hound you like a demon. Let the love of Christ infect you like a virus. Let it grip you like a phobia. Let it surround you like an enemy. Let it shackle you like a prison guard. Do not go far from the love of Jesus Christ. And if you stay at the foot of the cross, you will be filled with love, love enough to go and share the good news. Are you having trouble opening your mouth to share Christ? Simply start by dwelling on his sacrificial love for you. If he would give so much for you, won't you talk about him? Won't you share with him, share about him with your neighbor, with your coworker, with your friend? Point number three, be impartial out of love. I want us to look at a phrase in 16a. This comes right after this incredible, incredible statement on the gospel. Paul says this, 2 Corinthians 5.16, From now on, from now on, moving forward, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Point number three, be impartial out of love. Love is not partial. That is, love is not a respecter of persons. Interesting that Paul would say this. Immediately out of this, you know, being motivated by love, he talks about the incredible sacrificial love of Christ in the gospel. And then he says, therefore, I am not going to show partiality. I am not going to regard anyone according to The flesh. I'm not going to allow appearances to intimidate me. I'm not going to choose who I'm going to share the gospel with. I don't. I'm not a respecter of persons. I don't care what tier of society they're in. I don't care what class they are. I don't care what their ethnicity is. I'm going to share the gospel with all of them. I'm going to go out and be impartial in evangelism. I, I want you to be honest with yourself. Do certain appearances intimidate you? Do certain personality types intimidate you? Do certain ethnic groups intimidate you in such a way that is, I'm not going to share the gospel with them. I think we would all confess at times we've been overcome with some sort of intimidation and fear to evangelize someone just because of their appearance. (laughs) You look at somebody, you know, in a park or in the grocery store, and honestly, we become a respecter of persons. Intimidated. A wise man once said, in order to overcome stage fright, just picture everybody in their underwear. Wiser. Foolish, I don't know. I'm pretty confident that's, uh, that's not what the Apostle Paul had in mind when he said, you know, I'm not a respecter of the flesh, okay? I'm not trying to look underneath. Paul would take this silly illustration a step further and say, we look past the flesh and we look at souls. We look at the soul. And to be honest, to be frank, there are two types of people in this world. There are only two. Whatever their color, whatever their uh, social status, whatever their country of origin, there are only two types of people in this world. There are the dead and there are the alive. There are those who are dead without Christ. There are those who are alive in Christ. It doesn't matter what they look like on the outside. They're either damned and destined for hell or they're saved And destined for heaven. So it doesn't matter how much money they make. It doesn't matter the status of their relationship with you. It doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter what they smell like. (laughs) They have a soul. It's a soul that is in desperate need of Jesus. I know a pastor... The pastor was really struggling with this and wanting to cultivate a love for people. So he sat himself at a park, a popular park in his region. And he just sat down and he people watched. He just watched people come in and out of the park. Families. He watched some some homeless come through the park. Singles, you know, out for a jog, you know, by themselves. A variety of people, different ethnicities. And he did not leave that park bench. Until he was weeping. He was weeping. Out of a genuine love for all of these people. He just would look at them. Not in their, according to their appearance. But he would look at them and see lost souls. People who are going about their day. And all of them probably. Most of them if not. Do not know Christ. Let love drive us to share the gospel and to not be prejudiced or partial. We need the apostles' goggles, don't we? Would we not be so distracted by our busyness, you know? Just accomplishing tasks throughout the week and miss the opportunities where there's a soul in front of us. There's a person who needs the gospel. They need Jesus. God's love wipes away all partiality and it should wipe away all fear that we have to share. Romans 2.11, God shows no partiality. So be controlled by love. Be reminded by Christ's love. Be impartial just like Christ's love for you. Which begs the introspective question, I bet you're asking yourself, I ask myself, this week, if we do not evangelize, does that mean we lack love? i got to be honest, this question stifled me this week. Just so ashamed of my lack of evangelism. And I was looking at this text going, man, I don't evangelize as I should, and that probably means I don't really love the way that I should. But the, the reason I don't evangelize is because I don't love the way I should and and so I'm just gonna wait for it. I'm just gonna, you know, conjure up some kind of love and then I'm gonna go out and evangelize. It's kinda like I'm sitting around waiting for the gospel Cupid, you know, to shoot his arrows at me and to stir me up and motivate me toward evangelism. A friend of mine is an active evangelist, and I'll, I'll just close with this application. He's an active evangelist. He's actually uh, the director of Way of the Master with Ray Comfort, uh, a friend of mine, Eddie Roman. He works at Living Waters with Ray Comfort, right, the great evangelist of our day. Uh, he goes out evangelizing every weekend, and uh, his wife makes sure that he does it because she says that if he doesn't evangelize, he gets cranky. Kind of weird, Right. He, uh, so he taught several evangelism classes at our church. And in one of the classes, someone raised their hand. You know, they're totally inspired by what Eddie was saying. And he said, Eddie, how do you cultivate a love for evangelism? How do you cultivate such passion to go out and share your faith with people? Because you do it all the time. It was interesting. Eddie reversed the question and asked this man. Hey. How do you cultivate a love for your wife? And the guy goes, well, um, you know, I spend a lot of time with her. You know, we schedule date nights regularly. You know, I try to talk a lot about her when I'm, I'm not with her. Tell my coworkers, you know, how much I love her. You know, we I try to endure through the rough patches. I just... Try to always remember how much she means to me. He goes, you know, I guess I just make her a priority. Well, you've answered your own question. How do you develop a love for evangelism? How do you cultivate a passion for evangelism? He said, schedule dates with her regularly. Talk about her with everybody. Endure through the rough patches. And make her a priority in your life. In other words, go do it. Go do it. How do we cultivate any love in our life? We, we spend time with the person. We, we interact with them. We talk about them. Well, when, how, Why do we think evangelism is any different? Why are we sitting around waiting for you know the Cupid to poke us with an arrow and get us excited about evangelism? We ought to just go out and do it. And I was reminded and encouraged about that this week. How can we cultivate a love for evangelism? We've got to make it a new habit in our lives and make it a priority to just go out and do it, to be bold and share our faith with the various people that we interact with and trust that God's going to work in it. I think another thing that we could do, you know, just as a way of application is just to pray evangelistically. Pray evangelistically. In fact, right now, I'd like you, if you're taking notes, I'd like you to write down three names. If you don't know their names, you know it's a store clerk. Write store clerk or uh, whoever else it may be. Write down three names and just start by praying for these people. Pray for their salvation. Pray for an opportunity to talk with them. Pray for your boldness to use the opportunities that you have every day that when you talk with them. And just start by praying for them. Listen, it's hard to not love someone that you're praying for. And allow God to work through that to embolden you and give you courage to share your faith with them and to share the gospel with them. May we be people genuinely motivated by love, controlled by it. May that be the reason we go out and share our faith with people. May God be glorified in our efforts. Let me pray. Father, we are blown away by the incredible love that you have shown us. Oh, we're such wretched sinners. You loved us and sent your son to die on the cross for our sins. That unconditional, impartial, sacrificial love is incredible. And God, the more that I dwell on that, the more I want to share it with other people. I pray that your love would drive us. It would control every facet of our lives.